This is the Pain Information Network, Episode 11. Well, greetings. Uh, This week was uh, a lot of fun for me. I got to attend the World Institute of Pain and sit down with the leading uh, physicians uh, really in the world of pain control, both acute and chronic. The World Institute of Pain is a global uh, forum that provides education, training, and a certification. The Board of Education introduced the Fellow of Interventional Pain Practice, that's FIPP, uh, a number of years ago with over 800 international physicians, really from 50 countries, that have obtained this certification. I got mine in Budapest in 2007. Uh, It's a a rigorous exam, and uh, this uh, course was a lead-up to the certification process. It's uh, amazing the amount of uh, uh, intensity that the uh, folks around the world uh, have for uh, improving your uh, position in in, in the pain management arena. Uh, They are passionate. Uh, I had the opportunity to listen to and to participate with physicians from uh, virtually all over the world. The next few of our uh, podcasts are going to introduce you to some of these instructors uh, and leaders uh, in this field and it's it's fun to listen to them because we really are more alike than different and share so much commonality i'm really happy that uh, you're going to be able to hear some of these folks but more importantly i'm grateful that they took the time out of their busy busy uh, day to sit down and talk with us uh, I want to particularly thank uh, Dr. Trescott, who put this uh, course together. This course uh, coordinated uh, a number of uh, different countries and got them to Miami. Uh, we got to the venue, and it just went off like clockwork. Um, and thanks again to Andrea. All right, let's get to it. I want to interview uh, Dr. Duan, who's uh, a tremendous physician from New York, and I've known him for a number of years, a true contributor. Today I have uh, Dr. Sudhir Duan, MD, uh, with us today, uh, world-class pain physician located in Manhattan. Thriving practice, he sees some of the uh, most important people in the region. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Hi, um my name is uh, Dr. Devan, Sudhir Devan. I'm interventional pain physician, uh, practicing uh, pain medicine for last 18 years in the uh, city of New York. I'm a former uh, program director of a pain fellowship at Cornell, and now I'm in a private practice. Um, my practice involves uh, um, almost everything that we need to do interventional-wise in the uh, treating the chronic pain issues. And those include the um, uh, simple spinal injections to um, more invasive procedures like kyphoplasty or endoscopic discectomy or uh, uh, neuromodulation techniques. And uh, uh, this is what I do for my day-to-day practice in Manhattan. I am formerly trained a surgeon from India, came to this country 28 years ago. I did my residency in anesthesia and then a fellowship at Cornell. And after finishing my fellowship, 
I stayed at Cornell and then eventually became the program director, and I built that uh, training program at Cornell. Uh, it is still one of the best in the country. I left Cornell uh, to join the private practice group, and now my practice is in Manhattan on 57th Street and Park Avenue. That's that's, uh, that's really quite a resume. You also uh, are actively involved uh, in the World Institute of Pain and in your state uh, society and organizations. Tell me about some of those. Yes, I do those uh, educational activities because that's my passion. Uh, after being a program director for a while, I kind of learned that you know education is fun because not just I, I educate other people, but I educate myself, and I have learned uh, a lot by doing that. I'm a, a chairman of the New York Spine uh, Interventional Pain Society. I'm vice president of American Society of Interventional Pain Physicians. And I'm also examiner for the ABIP, which is American Board of Interventional Pain Physicians, and also examiner for FIP, which is a fellow of international uh, pain practice. So I'm quite involved in two educational activities other than uh, writing the books and manuscripts and things like that. Yeah, and you're involved in uh, some of the uh, regional uh, conferences, and those are really good conferences, really well attended. Yes. Um, I have uh, founded uh, this conference called uh, NICE uh, Pain Symposium, uh, which is uh, I, I established in 2011. And it's a yearly uh, conference when we have nearly 500 registrations every year, and that um, discusses on the uh, uh, new cutting-edge technologies that we use it to treat the chronic pain patients. Great, great. You know, um, on this podcast, I've talked a little bit about interventional procedures, and one of them was the sacral joint. We are in Miami at uh, a conference right now with the World Institute of Pain, and we're honored to be uh, speaking uh, here and educating here at the lab and uh, uh, in the educational facility to uh, members of the world pain community all the way from Saudi Arabia, Ireland, um, uh, where somewhere else, uh, Brazil, Argentina, I believe, um, and so it's uh, it's it's interesting, uh, multilingual, um, all accommodated, and uh, what a great gathering! But you talked yesterday about the sacral joint, and you know this is a good time to really get into that because you had a great presentation. Tell me a little bit about the sacral joint. So sacroiliac joint pain is, I personally feel, very underdiagnosed and under-recognized uh, condition that contributes to uh, chronic low back pain um, uh, tremendously. Uh, one in five patients will have this lower back pain coming from sacroiliac joint, and that's what is uh, not really uh, very well uh, recognized and understood, and what that leads to is under-treatment of the sacroiliac joint. If somebody has the uh, spinal fusion, then the most of the stress is transmitted to the sacroiliac joint, especially the lower part of the joint, and that burden actually uh, leads to a chronic pain condition. So sacroiliac joint pain is a, is a very non-entity. Uh, it, it is strong enough to um, interfere the activities of daily living. You cannot sit for a long time. You cannot walk for a long time. And it's a, it's a, a severely um, condition that requires attention and treatment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
And, you know, some of those symptoms, go ahead and elaborate on those. People don't realize that when they're changing position to get off that painful hip, they may be telling us that uh, that's a manifestation, although it's subtle, that your sacral joint's a problem. Yeah. One of the um, uh, conditions that you will see on the uh, physical uh, um, uh, presentation is that patient will not be able to sit properly. He will be or she will be uh, trying to favor the side of the painful side and sitting on one buttock on one side and keep changing the position because that uh, joint pain is very, very uh, um, uh, you know, affecting the your your other activities, other than the does limit the range of motion in your uh, lower back. So whatever you do, uh, flexion, extension, rotation, that transmits this uh, weight to uh, your uh, sacroiliac joint, especially as I said earlier in the lower part of the joint, and it, it is very very painful. Yeah, and. Uh just kind of as a point, uh, what we look for on the symptoms is some, it's mostly above the knee. We do see it go below the knee sometimes. It's sometimes a great imposter. So. Yes, my main presentation is actually very typically a buttock pain. There are four or five different uh, set of uh, patients that we have identified. One set of patients will have a buttock pain radiating to the out, outer side of the thigh. The other set of a patient would have buttock pain plus some radiation to groin and the, the third set of the patient just the buttock pain and fourth set of patient is combination of everything meaning that you have a buttock pain you have a radiation going to a lateral outer side of the thigh some groin pain difficulty in sitting so uh, it, it's multiple different uh, presentation for sacroiliac joint pain so yeah obviously you're going to have to get some kind of test what do you get for that well, we definitely, you know, most information we get is from the patient's history, how uh, the condition is described to me, uh, what kind of limitations they have, and that pinpoints to my uh, uh, suspicion of where the pain might be coming from. And the next step, what I do is do the physical examination. Now, I want to make a point that physical examination is a very sensitive tool, but it's not a very specific tool, meaning that it will still not give me very precise information whether it's a hip joint there that is the source of pain or sacroiliac joint is the source of pain or pain in the lower back that is really radiated to buttock and thigh. So physical examination has some very specific test called provocative sacroiliac joint um, test and that does help me to come to some conclusion. But really the uh, more information we get is called diagnostic uh, sacroiliac joint injection which is kind of a gold standard to diagnose the uh, source of pain coming from the sacroiliac joint. I, I completely agree. We can, uh, we can kind of get a sense from our patients when we touch them in the back at certain spots. Uh, one of them we call a Fortin finger test. That's actually something kind of funny I'll talk about in a little bit. But, um, but it's really it's not specific. It hurts there, but you know it can be more than one thing. So... We take it to the next step. Then we do a diagnostic injection, um, and that's really going to help us lay it down. Tell me about that. 
Well, one thing I've uh, not included in my uh, workup is the imaging studies. Now, imaging studies do help me to identify if there is a fracture, so if there is any kind of growth or a, any infection or anything going, a process going on that is not reflected on my examination. So imaging studies, either CT scan or MRI studies, are very important. At the same time, the correlation of this, these studies they are, are not a straight line, meaning that even if you find something that may be suggesting the uh, source of pain may not be source of pain, or you may not find anything in your imaging studies instead that does not rule out the source of pain. So when we do the diagnostic injection, mostly uh, the, the standard of care is the diagnostic injection should be done under some kind of guidance, either use ultrasound or fluoroscope. I personally like the fluoroscope because, you know, ultrasound sometimes may not penetrate enough. And uh, if you are not really very good into uh, identifying the, the images under ultrasound, then you may not really get the right, uh, right area or target area. Under fluoroscope, you can see, visualize bone and joints very clearly. You can adjust the fluoroscope and make the joint where you put the needle, mostly the lower part of the, the joint where the actual joint is. Most of the part of the joint, the two-third part of the joint is actually fibrous. So lower part is where usually the motion is more friction, um, friction is more stress, is more more um, effective. So lower part of the joint is where my needle will be focused to inject some contrast study first to confirm the local uh, localization of the needle and then once the needle is into the joint I'll inject some medications yeah you really touched on something that I kind of uh, jumped across you know there are things these comorbidities or co-diagnoses that really have to be kind of thought of for example females can get a little bit of joint laxity because that's where the baby goes and it's kind of like nature's way or else sometimes people are involved in a motor vehicle accident and they don't even think about it but um that compression from the seat belt can add a lot of problems um and you know obviously if we're deconditioned maybe a little overweight that's an issue and then there are some these subtle diseases that kind of show up like uh, ankylosing spondylitis that are inflammatory that set up this arthritic change. So this joint's an important joint to address. What, you know, what's your what's your feelings about how you take this into the differential diagnosis? I've talked about differential diagnosis on this podcast. I mean, you have actually covered almost uh, all the differential diagnosis that uh, we should be uh, uh, looking at. But one of the things that I would like to point out is this, the uh, role of sacroiliac joint during the pregnancy. In the placenta, that secretes the hormone called relaxin. And the purpose of that hormone is actually to uh, to relax the pelvis to house the baby and, and prepare the, the pelvic area for the delivery of the child. But that relaxing hormone relaxes the sacroiliac joint. And if if, um, if a woman had a, a lower back pain before the pregnancy, that particular uh, person will have more pain during the pregnancy just because of the uh, effect of relaxing. But the good thing is most of the pain will disappear once the baby is delivered. So there is a nature's you know, uh, uh, kind of uh, law that you know uh, relaxing does help but also contributes to some pain. 
so far the injury is concerned because it's the largest joint you know it has a, a very strong functional uh, uh, implication which is it, it prevents the rotational movement of your your body but it takes a lot of stress on lower part of the joint and what it does basically is is any injury whether it's uh, it's a you know, motor vehicular accident or something that you did not recognize when you were younger all those injuries uh, invites the early arthritis and that is also a very big source of pain and uh, the other thing you mentioned about the ankylosing spondylitis which is also a very big uh, uh, contributing factor to cause sacroiliitis you know we don't uh think about it we take it for granted but we have to have balance and we have to stand up and the sacral joint is actually when the where the hip bone comes together with the spine uh, that's called the sacral joint the sacrum and the ilium there is like the surface of the moon in there and in that architecture is uh, a lot of stabilizing elements uh, these uh, uh, nerves that help us kind of maintain our balance, that joint is is intimately involved in balance and correction. So, um, you know, it's a valuable, valuable um, assessment in our uh, differential diagnosis. Um, absolutely true. And one of the things is that we physicians actually sometimes struggle. Uh, I want to say struggle is because this is a very unique joint. It has, a, it has a wide range of anatomical variation. It has a wide range of the neurological, um, um, neuroanatomical uh, variation. The nerve supply is not consistent. It varies from uh, gender to gender but also person to person and sometimes in the same person and two both sacroiliac joints are not the same. So anatomical variation is huge as, as in terms of uh, a, a larger joint in your in, in our body. Yeah. Well, let's get to it. Let's do let's do this injection and get the real diagnosis. Um, tell me a little bit about some of the other options available and some of the risk of this procedure. Everybody wants to know if it's painful. So um, that's true. Uh, you know, we mostly I do under local sedation where I will take the patient into the operating room and under fluoroscopic guidance, all these uh, uh, precautions taken. And then when I have my target area marked under fluoroscope, uh, I do local anesthetic. Now, local anesthetic generally is enough for me to do the procedures. But again, don't forget, you know, there is a psychological stress, you know, having injection going too close to your spine and there is a huge amount of apprehension and anxiety going on in, in, in the patient. So I do offer them that if they are uncomfortable, we do have a, a board certified anesthesiologist available and he'll be there to give you some sedation if, if, if you wish to, to uh, have that. Now, uh, unfortunately, we do have some conflicts with the insurance. Some pays, some doesn't pay, so we have to justify why this particular patient requires sedation, but there is uh, something that is available if patient wishes to have you know sedation. So under fluoroscopic guidance, I decide where my needle should go, and once the needle is in the right position, I inject the uh, medication, which is a combination of local anesthetic and the uh, some kind of uh, anti-inflammatory steroid. Now this combination has a purpose. The local anesthetic helps me to block the pain 
paint right away and it will tell me whether uh, there is any kind of uh, um, uh, instability problem uh, that I can block with the local anesthetic. And then steroid kicks in in 24 to 48 hours and that will help me if there is any kind of inflammatory processes going on. So there are two different goals for this combination of medications. Yeah. You know, um, the thing about this procedure is we can not only block it um, with local anesthetic and get an answer. Yeah, that's probably most of our pain generators. Probably not 100%, but a lot of it. But we can take it one step further and say the pain comes back. Well, well, we'll block again, see if we can extend it. But if it comes back again, we can do some other things to maybe make it last longer, can't we? Yes. So, so the, the the protocol that I follow in my practice is this. Once I diagnosed physically in my examination that patient may have source of pain coming from sacroiliac joint, the next step is diagnostic injection. I like to repeat the diagnostic injection one more time just to duplicate the results so we can uh, we can rule out those false positive results if you really duplicate the results. And I expect anyway 60, 70, sometimes 80% of pain relief to take my next step. The next step would be um, I do radiofrequency. Now, radiofrequency is a very simple procedure done as outpatient through the needle where radiofrequency energy is delivered where the those small sensory nerves are. Those uh, small sensory nerves are really has no motor component. It does not contribute to any of your, your vital functions, so we can actually afford to, to ablate them through the radio frequency, and because uh, the you know the, these nerves, um, we we call it a permanent nerve block. However, it is not permanent because nerves regenerate, um, but not necessarily when nerves regenerate, pain will come back. So, radio frequency techniques is a, one of the very, uh, very um, uh, rewarding, very beneficial, very effective, very safe procedure that we do uh, in our day-to-day practice and uh, patient will have uh, long-term pain relief from the procedure. Yeah, you know, uh, just to clarify, radio frequency is a form of energy. You know, radio, radio waves, if they're concentrated, can create heat just like a laser can. You know, we hear a lot about lasers, but we can use radio frequency energy on the tip of a needle and very accurately and precisely identify what we call, as, as, as you said, a sensory nerve, which is sometimes a nuisance nerve. It doesn't make your leg move. It doesn't change the way you feel things. You still have all your protective reflexes and everything. But it's just going to knock down some of your pain. And so uh, we really like to consider that um, uh, sometimes earlier than later to get people to physical therapy and get them moving. What do you do after the block? So after the block, as I said, you know, depending on the response, uh, patient will be scheduled for the radio frequency procedure. But one thing I really want to emphasize is that the um, the uh, role of the physical therapy. The physical therapy is very integral part of the uh, treatment on a long term, because if you do not really do exercise, your muscles decondition, and deconditioning flabby muscles are more painful, not strong enough to support your lower part of your uh, lower segment of your spine, and and sacroiliac region. So. Physical therapy is a very, very effective and very integral part. There is a very specific physical therapy.
therapy programs are designed by the therapist that actually focuses only on the sacroiliac joint pain. Okay. Yeah, and uh, sometimes we can get some uh, kind of these uh, pelvic belts that can help sacral uh, stabilization. And Absolutely. So, um, great. Okay, now... Say we we get a great result. We go on to radio frequency, which we actually take those sensory nerves and say, uh, here's to you. Um, and uh, people say, well, how long is it going to last? And there's never a good answer for that, is there? Well, as I said, you know, the, we call it a permanent because this is really once those painful nerves are taken care of, pain should go away and pain usually goes away. But we don't like to still uh, define as permanent because nerves regenerate and pain come, you know, the so pain may come back. One of the things which I did not mention in my discussion is that if there is an instability of the sacroiliac joint, then, you know, those nerves, uh, the, the blocks may not uh, work or may not work for a long time. And that time, you know, either uh, percutaneous surgical fusion or even uh, surgical opinion might be required to see if we can put some screws or some devices to fuse the joint. Now, issue is that even if you sometimes fuse the joint, which will take care of the structural problem, not necessarily will address the functional problem, which is the pain. So uh, what you could do is you, you fuse the joint either percutaneously or by help of the surgeon. Any pain persists, you can repeat the same thing again, meaning that you do the diagnostic block, see pain is better, and you can again do the radio frequency. So uh, if pain is because of the instability of the sacroiliac joint or some fractures, then uh, the treatment plan gets a little more complicated, but still is not that something that we cannot help the patient. I have helped so many patients with this type of situation where, um, uh, you know, it's, it's just you have to go step by step, one thing after another, and that's the best way to address the issue of the sacroiliac joint pain. Exactly right. This is one of our bread and butter uh, blocks, one of the uh, better ways to get people up and moving and uh, and just uh, basically improve their quality of life, decrease in medication reliance. And, you know, a lot of people say after this block, you know, I was taking a lot of pain medicine. Now I can sit longer, ride in a car better, take less medicine. Um, is there any other things you tell patients before you um, cut them loose after a block? No, just to be active. Don't just uh, stay in a sit in the same position. I tell my patient that if you're driving a long distance or even if you are flying, make sure that every now and then you get up from your seat, you stretch, you walk, you, uh, you, do, you know, don't stay in the same position because if you stay in the same position, it will trigger spasm and spasm and pain. Uh, one thing leads to another. So being active, uh, doing the physical th- therapy, weight reduction program, those who are overweight is very, very effective because sacroiliac joint is where the uh, body weight is is really transmitted to your lower extremities. And uh, the results are very, very remarkable once you are in a weight reduction program because even if you take few pounds off your body, that will reflect on improving the uh, pain condition tremendously. So uh, you know, weight control program, those who are overweight, uh, regular physical therapy, every now and then some over-the-counter anti-inflammatory medication, things like this, and very easily you can handle this pain. I 
would like to um, emphasize one thing that you have to have realistic expectations however that you know sometimes you may not expect pain uh, pain to be zero that doesn't mean you cannot live your life normal uh, you know it's it, it's it's a whenever your nerves are alive some pain is going to be there but we are talking about the pain that is strong enough to affect the quality of your life or activities of daily living and sleep like that Awesome. Yeah, that that is so true. I I just uh, want to you know close out here by saying you know I, there's never one pain generator. You get arthritis in one place, you can get it in another. And really, we're talking about arthritis here. We're talking about an inflammatory problem. We're talking about maybe a mechanical traumatic issue. But the bottom line is we can do some things to help. And I really want to thank you for coming on board. World class uh, physician talking about one of the more common pain problems. We get to go to the lab now, and uh, we actually get to apply this uh, and uh, see if we can pass along some of our knowledge. Thanks again. Thank you so much for the invitation. You bet. We'll have you back for sure. Yeah, he's great, isn't he? Uh, That is uh, heartfelt. uh, That's unscripted. And it is really off the cuff uh, and true and sincere uh, feelings of a physician that ha- not only has the capabilities, but uh, the intellect and forward thinking to provide us with uh, the tools we need to help the community. And I'm uh, grateful for Dr. Duane to sit down with us. Uh, we're going to have a number of other physicians uh, to follow and uh, look forward to uh, outreaching as much as I can while I'm at the World Institute of Pain to provide these podcasts with uh, the perspective that uh, I I just have have never seen. So um, thanks again for listening. Thanks for coming, and I'll see you soon.